Hello and welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, the continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Tom. Hello. And uh, we're back with a double feature. Ozu feature. Ozu double feature. As you said before we hit recording, the type of lovely films that we need right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> as the world is on fire. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is the, well, these two would mark the fourth films we've seen of Ozu at this stage. Yeah. So we've got Good Morning, Tokyo Story, Story of Floating Weeds and Floating Weeds. Okay. Yeah. I think those are, that's it. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we're kind of familiar with Ozu to, to well, I'd say a large degree now. We, we we understand his tropes and like his style and what he does, I guess. I think he's one of those directors that are kind of unique in that the the ideas and uh, he has with his camera work and whatever and the compositions. Yeah, they're all very stylistic and they're all very Ozu. Yes, um, I think we're still yet to see two two major major works from him. Uh, we're still yet to watch uh, early summer and late spring, uh, which are supposed to be absolute masterpieces. Mm. Um, I've not seen them yet, so yeah, we'll kind of going off of the four that we have seen, I guess. So we're talking about we we talked about this in in when we, when we watched Tokyo Story, but it's all about pillow shots and tatami shots and all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff. And I think we could probably go over the definitions of them again, just kind of contextualize it here. But yeah, for those that either have forgotten or haven't, you know, listened to that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I really loved the idea that we're watching a 1933 film, A Story of Floating Weeds. Yeah. And then a remake by the same director. Yes. That is from 1959. So it's it's really unique to see a double feature that allows you to watch a filmmaker grow. Yeah. Because they're both fantastic in their own right. And I don't know about you, but for me, the second film, the 1959 version, is um, better I found it much more, much much better in many respects. Um, I, I'm guessing you're disagreeing with me now, judging by your face. A little bit, yeah. Okay. I, um, and, um, I'm I'm wanting to possibly get you elab- to elaborate on your definition of better. Okay. Um, whether you're meaning uh, enjoyed the film more, or was able to view it as like a more well constructed film and a better composed film I, in some regards sure. I would agree with I think but. yeah we'll I'll, I'll certainly get into that let's do a synopsis first yeah uh, do you want to read the back of the box yeah yeah this time around just uh, have the Criterion website up and loaded yeah so I'll, I'll, I'll breeze over the kind of uh, explanation of him remaking his own film and yada yada and just get into the actual uh, plot synopsis thing and um Uh, Ozu otherwise preserves the detail of his elegantly simple plot, wherein an aging actor returns to a small town with his troupe and reunites with his former lover and illegitimate son, a scenario that enrages his current mistress and results in heartbreak for all. Yeah, so it's, again, all of his stories are about the simplistic nature of everyday life, so... Yes. It's almost... they're They're kind of intriguing in that they are a simple little story, but there's a lot of depth to them. Hmm. Um, I don't... It's not like Shakespearean or whatever, but... No, but, but at the same time, it is... Like, that's not a bad parallel in the way that, 
Yes, Shakespeare. Shakespeare does. <laughs> yes, Shakespearean. <laughs> yes, Shakespeare does kind of uh, do these big grand epic. Like you know, it's about you know the king of Denmark and stuff. But it is also a very simple story of jealousy. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Romeo and Juliet, like up on an epic scale, of two warring families. But it's a simple. Yeah, when you boil them unrequited, down, like you know, not unrequited, but like love that you can't have kind of thing. when you boil them down there's just a, a character study on basic human psychology yeah that. with with epic settings it's like uh, I mean god and that's what Kurosawa would then later go on to do with a lot of like like a throne of blood though like is the example we can use that we've seen the Macbeth story there's like this simple story of corruption like power corrupts all but told on this epically grand scale Ozu doesn't need an epic grand scale he just needs like five people at a seaside town yeah. to tell his little stories but his, and his stories are they're, con- they're almost repetitive after I've seen Good Morning which is a story about a family getting a TV because the mm-hmm. kids want it and Tokyo Stories is just a, a family living together you know three generations living together it's all s- small in scope but and they're kind of rep- like repetitive in nature obviously mm-hmm. Ozu's very Fascinated with just the ordinary everyday life of the average family. He he almost he he wants to just take a snapshot of scenarios and circumstances that um, everyday families have to go through and deal with, and just kind of contextualize and put something familiar up on the screen. Yeah, I think it's like celebrating humanity. Yeah, because <laughs> everybody. I mean, I think everybody can relate to the idea of you're just some random person. That's floating through, like a floating weed, mm-hmm. down the river of life or whatever. But in that, there's so much joy and tragedy, and his films are always just kind of plucking from that. And um, these films are no exception. I, I was, I, as I understand it, 1933, a story of floating weeds, is 34. 1934. 30, okay. Um, as I understand it, it's him really starting to figure out where he's going as a filmmaker yeah down to the point of um i had this safer trivia but perfect time to bring it up um how the film opens with the credit sequence actually being shot over the sackcloth oh yeah uh that was the first time he used that okay uh previous to that a lot of his other films had used kind of cartoony illustrations and things and by doing that that kind of was helping signify like Uh, by doing that, it's kind of helping signify like a kind of more mature type of filmmaking that he's growing into, and um, then the it, humble sackcloth. Yeah, exactly, and it, like it not only worked for like the like um, you know the pastoral setting and like you know the farmery kind of landscape and story he's telling, but it is also then shifting into like no, no, we're doing something. I'm doing something a little bit more different now. Mm. Well, bye. Yeah, if you hear noises in the background, Tom's truffle pig is wandering around. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll sit down. But yeah, it, it is, and um, I ended up having a, like, I got really fascinated by that. Like, it's it's a filmmaker growing into a new kind of stage of filmmaking. So I wanted to look up, like, where this kind of fell in his career, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, as we've mentioned, it's a 1934 silent film, um, black and white. Um so it uh, looking it up, it was of his surviving films. Oh, okay. Because obviously a lot lost during the wars and things, and then also you know not proper preservation and things. Uh, this was his thirteenth film, surviving film, uh, including his lost films. It was his twenty ninth. Holy shit! 
um, and it was his fourth to last silent film. So he made three more films after this that were also silent, and then he made the transition into uh, talkies. Dog sneezing. <laughs> sneezing. A lot of dog sneezes. Uh, made the transition then into talkies. So yeah. Um, well, even even in this 1934 iteration, you can get the taste of the tatami shot, which is the low angle and it's made to look like you're fuck off, Wilbur. <laughs> He's having sneezing fits and just <laughs> wandering. Wilbur. And so, so yes. Uh, so in it, fuck off, Wilbur. <laughs> so even in this 1934 iteration, there's there's a few tatami shots. They're the low angles. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna just, say if you want to explain again. Yeah, they're the low angles that make you feel like you're sitting down. <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> dog does not like Ozu. <laughs> Sorry, I should have warned you that was going to happen. He always does that after he has sneezing fits. That's cool. That's reverse sneezing. It's a sneezing fit in reverse. Yeah, that's what happens when you got a small snout. Oh, you poor buddy. Uh, not poor buddy. You could be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about Ozu, damn it. No dogs allowed. Okay, some, some shots for the fourth time. Yeah, uh, are a low angle shot <laughs> made to fi- you made to feel like you're sitting down on the tatami mats, yep. which line the floor of you know the average Japanese household, mm-hmm. uh, and it's made to make you feel like you're part of the family, so to speak. Um, and those were way more prevalent in the 1959 version, but you still had a few running around in the 1934 version mm. and he's he uses them extensively in Tokyo Story and yeah it, it, it's like the, watching the 34 version it is very clear like I mean unfortunately we haven't seen any of his films that he done previously but it is very clear this is the proto Ozu style that we get to see then in Tokyo Story and Good Morning and mm. things like it, it's him kind of figuring out where he will be progressing and where he's going which is what makes the 59 version interesting to watch because it's, well, let's see him tackle this same story again, having established that style for himself. Yeah. Like, what now that he is a master of what he's doing, can he do it better? Can he, how, does, how would he do it different? Where are you placing the camera? Because the camera doesn't move at all. Yeah. In, I think, both of these films. The camera is static. And you get the movement and the vibrancy through people walking through the shot, frames within frames. Yep. Uh, the depth... There's a lot of it's like a is it a deep deep focus lens where mm-hmm. you can get a focus across a broad range of depth. Mm-hmm. So everything in the shot is in focus, and you get to kind of pick out what you really want to look at. And, and it the gives co- the opportunity for each of the characters to be center stage. Yeah, and and the compositions he's him and his cinematographer are creating are just beautiful. They're kind of zen. Yeah, you know, like I, when I'm I, I'm really liking Ozu these days because. We watched Good Morning, and I was like, "That's a great movie." Mm-hmm. Watch Tokyo Story, and I go, "That's a fucking exceptional film." <laughs> yeah, that's a. And now, piece. and now I can go into an Ozu film, and I know what I'm 
going to see. Yeah. And that's going to be, as I said, the, the shots, the compositions, and they're all built to just be extremely calming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to the point where he, the continuity of his shots is kind of takes a really backstage mm. um, approach because he's just like, I don't care if, say, a statue is facing this way in one shot and then the statue is facing another way in another shot yeah, right next it, to it because I just want the shot to look good. It's kind of like it's crossing the line, but it's not mm. like in, in terms of like it's not to that extent that it's making you as the audience be like oh whoa that makes no sense and kind of breaks my brain but it is like you said those little it's like a Scorsese how he don't doesn't give a fuck about continuity he's like no it, it what matters here is the emotional intent and the performance and for Ozu it's the performance intent and also like the compositions of the shots as well yeah I think it's I think that's for him it seems like for him that's number one yeah and what what I think is why that's developing with this film in particular the 34 version is um, it, it's I kind of got just the sense of it's a storybook almost this tale he's telling here it's, it's this very nice little like short story and so he's painting like doing book illustrations almost for it oh, yeah. and just going very gorgeous and beautiful and kind of as you perfectly put it like zen images to kind of complement this nice kind of classical story that he's telling yeah even the soundtrack i mean the the 34 version it's got it's a silent film so it's got the piano accompaniment mm-hmm. and and tonally i thought it, it's kind of a shambles in my opinion because it doesn't separate the the soundtrack that's the piano accompaniment doesn't separate out the the tension in the scene versus say like a pillow shot that's you know, inserted somewhere to have a contemplative moment. You just look at a building or you look yeah. at a, you know, whatever it might be, like clothes on the line or whatever. Yeah. The soundtrack for the piano accompaniment is more or less samesy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the 1959 version, I actually, it would remind me of Fellini movies. Uh, the, the opening shot where it's like the boat coming in and it's like the, it's like eight and a half all over again, almost like that kind of Nino Rotto, like circusy. It's like the actors are coming to town. Yeah. yeah. And actually even, I mean, Armacord to bring that up is kind of similar. It's got a lot of the pillow shots where it's giving you a flavor of the town. And so I think in that regard, the soundtrack, especially for the 1959 version, is really giving you that sense of calm too. And a playful, joyful nature to it as well. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I mean, I'll say it now, like I much preferred the 34 version. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that might have been because I watched it first. I also watched the 34 version first. Okay, okay. Um, I don't know. There was just something about it that, and I don't know if it is the score that kind of influenced this but it was a I got way more of a light and playful tone from the original than I did from the 59 version yeah that gave me it gave me those Ozu feels more than the 59 did oh really okay um what what 59 did in terms of that kind of Ozu feeling was that I don't know whether it's the film stock or the lenses he's using but like the that the look on the actual film is so rich yet kind of saturate like desaturated to some degree desaturated yeah oh yeah or am i saying it wrong <laughs> am i meaning saturated anyway it, it's, it's kind of like technicolor vibrancy to it kind of but then also that matched with the color palettes he's using of the pastels it kind of washes everything out okay. a bit so like yeah there's just some some quality to the film that i'm like ugh, i'm i'm home <laughs> yeah. like watching this it's great yeah. but 
so it was definitely there in that regard, but I think in terms of performances and stuff, the 59 really kind of threw me for a loop. Um, at this point, what do we want to do? Do we want to just kind of keep talking about them as one entity, or do we go into individually? No, it sounds like you want to go into the, the actors' performances in, in the, the earlier version. I must admit that the actor's name... I must admit that the dad, uh, Komajuro, is his name in the film. Uh, the, the leader of the acting troupe? Yeah. yeah. I think the performance in the 34 version is probably more sound. I, I wonder if that's because... Because you don't have to rely, you, you can't rely on um, verbal language. Mm. You need the actors really do need to put a lot more thought into their performances physically. Obviously, it wasn't necessarily the physicality. I think it's honestly the age. Okay. Because um, they're young, younger. Yeah, and it made it more okay for where the story went for me. Oddly, like it was the idea that. At best, he's there, you know, in his late 40s, but then in the, like, trying to be as vague as possible plot-wise, um, but then when we watch the later one, and it's clearly a man in his late 50s, early 60s, and it's, you're too old to be acting the way you're acting, Okay, I, I found. Yeah, he, I mean, he certainly looks like he's much older. Yeah, and, 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 that, and that makes sense aging it up as well, because we're now in a post-war setting so obviously you know if he was it's you know having to age it up a bit and things i guess like you know him having would have gone to war and all of that stuff like so a lot of it makes sense but i i enjoyed i think a lot more having it be that younger setting and i think it also flows into story-wise as well like the fact that they are younger makes it seem like more of a young fling that happened when, you know, he was a travelling actor that came through, had an affair with this woman, they weren't kind of in love, but then he he left. And that seems more likely of the actions of a man in his late teens, early 20s, mm. than it would be for a man in his 30s or 40s to be like, oh, well, I got a kid, but anyway, peace out, I'm an actor, yo. <laughs> yeah, true. But they do establish that he's... Every time he comes to the town, it's this repetitive cycle of, should I stay? Should I become the father to this boy uh, and stop pretending to be an uncle? Except there was a line of dialogue in the the remake where it says, like, he hasn't been through these parts in nearly 20 years. Okay. Where I'm like, oh... You're a dick. <laughs> yeah, well, the story's called floating weeds. I, under- not, I understand. It's not floating flowers. Whereas I, I think that there was just some human, there was some heart that was missing in that fifty nine for okay. me. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I guess, yeah, I guess you could say that. I, I actually related quite strongly to the idea that everybody. I mean, let's talk about the title of the movie. Floating mm-hmm. weeds is an allegory for for life of people just meandering down a river doing their best so to speak Mm. and so I kind of connected with that idea that everybody in the story is fallible to some degree but by the end everyone's kind of um, accepting each other for what they are and and going alongside them anyway just going with the stream so in in both stories that's I think what the film is kind of pushing yeah um and in both stories, in both versions, um, it's done. It's done really well. I will ad- admit, though, that the final sequence 
1934 version where the, it, the, it's ending on the dad slash uncle entering the train, is moving off on another leg of his journey with his ex-mistress. Uh, and there's this really great shot. Um, they're both enjoying the sake as they sit in the train. And there's a young boy sitting across the way. And while the dad is sucking his fingers with some sake, he just looks at the boy and it gives you that sense of everything is this cycle and the boy will maybe one day grow up and make all these mistakes. And yeah. that shot's missing in the 1959 version. So Very much so. The final shot of the 59 version made me go, huh. <laughs> like, it just seemed a bit hollow to some degree. It's not hollow because it's implying... It's implying everything that the first version's shots are doing. But yeah. but I, I think that it's kind of more poetic with that, just that insertion yeah. of him looking, sucking on the sake with his fingers and looking at that boy and realising that it's just life, man. Like, yeah. Um, so they got, I guess they got their pros and cons. Mm. Um, but I will say that I think the reason why I think the 59 version is quote-unquote better um, is because Ozu is using more of those POV shots where he's putting you at the in between everybody, so yeah. it's a way more immersive experience. Oh, he's definitely a better filmmaker by the time yeah. he's making the fifty nine. That's that's undeniable. And there's way more pillow shots. Yeah, and they're the ones that are like, I mean, it, help hammer home the point and the impact of scenes. And yeah, it's it's, qu- it's quieter. Yeah, it's more contemplative. Um, Which so is you what get, you want out of an Ozu film. Yeah, you so. want to reflect on yourself a bit. Yeah, uh, even the start of the fifty nine version is a pillow shot effectively it's a shot of a lighthouse with the with tiny the, 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 the bottle so great yeah and it's just like it, I mean compositionally it's just really lovely to look at like I was watching it on the and Claire walked into the room and like sat on the couch next to me and was like what is this lovely thing that you're watching and I'm like yeah. this is Ozu come join it's like four four to six <laughs> shots of, of just the lighthouse from different vantage points and you get to see it through some boats and, and, and you get the Fellini-esque score kind of kicking in and yeah. it just sets a tone of kind of um not even mischievous kind of tone but like a playfulness to it i guess yeah i think there's a lot going on there but that i think the 59 version doesn't fulfill as well as the 34 one i think it's like the, the that playfulness is what really lacked for me it um the romance between the son and um the young actress um that was seemed very kind of dry in the 59 i didn't well, the son himself is... Was not a great He's actor. like a fucking wooden board to some degree. Yeah, it, it just, like, that, that scene... Because I loved so much in the 34 version, the scene where she explains to him, like, hey, I was doing this to make a fool of you to begin with, but now I've actually fallen in love with you. It's them at a, like, countryside on the, beside the train tracks, and you've got the mountains in the background. It's fucking gorgeous. And they are nailing those performances. And in the 59, they're at a shipyard, and he's like, it doesn't matter what you're due to fall. Yeah. And you're okay. like, I can't, like, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you, you're reading your lines like you're a Terminator here. Like, <laughs> give me your clothes, you put your motorcycle. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess it, so. It just didn't... I, I wasn't, I didn't... You're right, but I didn't... I, it but didn't bother me, it didn't bother me. My disconnect there is it's... Though that kind of wooden disconnect in the performances, but the shots are so lush and great with where... The way he's filming it is awesome like how that scene opens in the 59 version of we're getting the shot of them on the back like just their backs as they sit dangling their legs you know like oh this is great like we are clearly telegraphing and saying to the audience like we are now peeking in on a private moment between these two 
awesome visual storytelling and things, but it's just marred by sloppy performance, I think. I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, coming down hard from 59. Sorry. I'm so surprised. And sorry, yeah. But I, whereas the 34, like, just, I don't know what it was, the playfulness of their romance made me actually buy it. Yeah. And I think in the 59, it is solely the dude, the son. It's, I think the, um, I want to say Ko is the character's name. I, th- I think she was great. Um, she did a, I really liked her performance, but it was just didn't and connect with me. And that's, if you're not on board for that, that's the heart of that film. That's the driving kind of force that's taking you through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah it lacked that play and the other playful thing as well that i was like where's this guy in the 59 it was the kid who eats watermelon and wets the bed where's that little guy yeah i well i think there's yeah that just made me as prominent in this 59 version he's there i I know he's there and there's a nice little nod in one part where you sit there's this kind of pillow shot of him eating watermelon you're like ah nice little nod there but him constantly being present in the 34 version I was like, oh, here's the playful Ozu I'm familiar with. I don't know if it was just the fact that he reminded me of Good Morning Kids, but it was just, like, him constantly, like, on stage, not being able to not scratch at his crotch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then when they're having to sell all their props and costumes and stuff, and the, like, auctioneer, like, smells the dog costume the boy wears, and it's fucking disgusting. <laughs> like, yeah, it's cute. And then he looks down ashamed. Like, it's it's that playfulness that you, you want in an Ozu film, that I it just seemed bear in the 59 to me it wasn't bear there was it was still um, yeah i was kind of i'm being harsh I you're, being, you're being way too harsh sorry I'm, I'm <laughs> either that or am i just being flag wavy for 34 <laughs> you clearly like the 34 version more yes but, it um, did. but no like yeah the, the i guess maybe i'm a sucker for for maybe i hate silent films to some degree maybe, maybe I, 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 I don't know. i i'm agreeing with you to a large degree but don't shit on a fucking 59 no I'm not Sorry. but it, uh, it's I, that's what I'm wondering if I if I had watched the 59 version first and then gone over to the 34 would I feel the inverse would I be like well this is just dumb and it's not playing it as serious as it should be the the 59 version no the, if I'd seen 59 first where they played it more straight and serious mm. then going to the 34 be, version be like oh this is this is this is serious guys come on yeah like uh, pay attention <laughs> yeah I, I mean I guess Ozu's it, it's the 59 version is way more dramatic yes and it's visually there's a lot more kind of darker things going on I, I remember the sequence where um, Komajuro the dad is kind of having it off with his ex-mistress and they go outside and there's that the rainfall that's hitting the road and it's like mm-hmm. this physical wall of water um and they're well, that kind exists of yelling. In 34 yeah but but they're side by side they're under the one yeah. outcropping together so in like, the 59 version they're separated by the road each one's right. underneath an awning and there's these vertical posts holding up the awning which are separating them physically so yeah. no i i like that is brilliant. Like, there are elements of 59 that I think are... Like, 59 is not a bad film, but I think... It's good. Actually, uh, Ebert put it in his top 10. Of like, all time. Of all, all time. So. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I, I don't know. I, I um, It's those kinds of shots, which... They're, they're in the 34 version. Uh, but, but they're not developed. They're, they're not as strong to me as the 59 version. They yeah. didn't have as much of an impact. Um, and I think that's got a lot to do with, well, I mean, the composition for one, but 
it's got also got a lot to do with the fact that you can hear the you can hear the actual actors their voices and whatnot and you can hear them taking the dramatic pause and the inflection in their tone and all of that like you you get a fully rounded <laughs> film as we know it now i guess but you're, you're right the 59 version has those wonderful moments like that but it is it is playing it more dramatic it is and i'm wondering if that is a it's got to be a result of ozu having shifted into doing stuff like tokyo story by this yeah. point like more of a dramatic filmmaker, less of a kind of light and playful tone. But that doesn't make it bad. In no, no, like, that's the thing. I'm not saying it it's bad. It worse, it's not, it's not bad. It's not, it's just I preferred the 34 version. And I don't know if that was just the day that I watched them. It just kind of, I, I wanted yeah. <laughs> light and playful a bit more than yeah. somber and serious. And I'm, like I said, I'm wondering if I'd watch them in reverse order, if that would affect me differently. I think with those, you do want to have that playful yeah, yeah but, of but everyone's because, connecting with that but that being said Tokyo Story has playful moments but it's not a really light and playful film like Good Morning is mm. um, and I consider Tokyo Story his play a masterpiece so I guess it's probably just the mood and day that I watched them has made me kind of that, I, yeah that's like it's own conversation mm. you know when you watch a movie and you're not quite ready for it yeah and it, it can just but that, who the fuck knows? Because it's like a variable. That's yeah, really exactly. Out of control. Um, I remember watching uh, the Edgar Wright film. Fuck. Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, I remember watching the first time I watched Scott Pilgrim. I fucking hated it. Wow. I, I, I like hated. It. I thought it was. Wow. I was like, I obviously wasn't connecting with the the comedy, and then I watched it two years later, and I adored it. Yeah. Uh, and I which think is the correct my, answer yeah which is the correct <laughs> answer sure and I think I think it was just my mood yeah um, which you know I was ready to people had said do you want to try that again and for a few years I was like nah, yeah. nah I'm good shit mm. until finally I did rewatch it yeah I think my problem with the 59 version is because I watched them back to back in one sitting like I did not take a break in between it was like 34 ended and I let's keep this train rolling and went straight into 59 mm. which was probably a mistake I probably should have had some time to kind of sit and you needed a pillow shot of your own yeah pretty much I need to go to bed and have a pillow shot <laughs> but, it, <laughs> but it, um, it and I think it was probably I was expecting or looking out for these moments that I loved from the, like the playful nature of the 34 that just clearly Ozu was not in like wanting to remake and redo he's like which is what makes this fascinating is like you said a a filmmaker remaking his own film um 20 something years later and it's he changes the tone and the style of what he's done with the same story and it's super interesting like the only other example i can think of is hitchcock remaking uh the man who knew too much but that's just almost a straight remake he's not messing with the tone and the style to some degree like I mean obviously he's a more established and better filmmaker later on but mm, de- like debatable I guess <laughs> but it, it is what Ozu is doing he's like let's take the same material and apply the skills I've developed as a storyteller and see how I can make this different and he does make it different I mean I, well it's largely the same uh Story-wise, but totally, I don't think so. Okay. I I get a real, like... I mean, again, just personally for me, like, the, the 34 version, all of the stuff, like, when it's... 
the the new lover like contracted like you know bribing the the young actress to go and seduce the son i i'm like oh cool this is like a billy wilder-esque like you know fun playful ploy she's doing whereas in the 59 i'm like this is vindictive yeah she did come off a lot more harsh that's what i mean it, it, it's he's shifting and trying he's doing the exact same story in the same but he's doing it in different tone but i think that's in a way, it's kind of more beautiful because of that. Mm. You take those relationships to a darker place. Oh, and when they yeah. bounce back at the end and everyone's accepting, um, it adds more gravity to, to everybody's change in attitude. Mm. So, so, I mean, I, I looked at the ending of the 59 version. And I was like, well, they're enjoying their sake and they're together again uh, as friends. See, I, I had such a cynical, <laughs> shitty okay. view of, like, when they were sitting at the train station, and she's, like, trying to light his cigarette, and, like, the match burns out, and she lights another one, and then him, like, a petulant child starts, like, moving his head away, like, no, 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 you're not gonna light it. <laughs> and then he finally does, and he's, she's like, what are you gonna do? And he's like, oh, fine, I'll fucking talk to you. <laughs> and he's like, I'm gonna go to this place, try and get, you know, in with this empresario, and she's like, well, I actually know him, I'm really good friends with him. That's when he starts to engage and talks to her, I'm like... Motherfucker, you just want an in. <laughs> I, I had a real cynical read on it where I'm like, you don't need talking to her and bring her along now because she'll help you get a job and get in. <laughs> no, no. I, I know it's not that, but I'm like, I, I just, I had that much of a disconnect with it that I was like, oh, fuck you. Yeah, so, so you re- yeah, like, yeah, crazy. It's not bad. It, it's, I just, yeah. And I, I think it is largely, as I kind of mentioned, due to the age. I, it's like when I see a 60-year-old man acting like a petulant child i'm like well you're just that forever like mm. you have no capacity to learn or grow you're beyond that point now if you're still acting like that in your 60s yeah. kicking the shit out of women and stuff like ugh. whereas in the 34 version when it is a 30s 40s year old man i'm like you you still have time you can still learn <laughs> it, yeah okay there's just something but, but, like but that's that's the clincher because yeah the whole point of it is He's been running through cycles, traveling in his troop, returning to the same place, doing the same thing, attempting to be a dad, failing mm. and removing himself yeah. and then repeating the cycle. So whether it's when you're 40 or, or 60 in the, in the world of Ozu, I feel like it's just repetitive forever. And the, the film's almost meta in that way because he's repeating mm. and making the film. See, randomly, I found the, thir- the ending of the 34 version a lot more somber and kind of sad than I did the 59 one. Okay. The 59 one, I was just like, like you said, like people will, people are what people will be. Like, oh, well, we're on this crazy cycle. We're just going to keep going. Whereas the 34 version, I'm just, like, I think it is because of that age disconnect. And like I was saying, like, I was like, oh, it's a bad thing that you're stuck in this cycle. You had a way out. You could have, you know, settled down. But it's just because of this thing that you're stuck in. Hopefully, with time, you will learn to break out of that. Whereas in the 59, it's just like, oh, well, this is what we do. Yeah. The 34 is sad. Whereas 59 is like, oh, yeah, I get it. What? Yeah, okay. <laughs> the 59 version, I got the, uh, a, stra- a stronger sense that, that people will try to change and do their best but mm. ult- but sometimes i mean it seems like ultimately in this world they're ju- they're just going to forever repeat mm. so the positive outlook that you've got from the, the earlier version is i mean feels better it feels better mm. but um i think there's a it, it means that the meanings of the films are quite different for you yeah 
Whereas I see the th- you see the 34 version as the possibility of change is there because you're young and you can change. But the ma- but our protagonist is unrecognizing of that potential. Yeah. Which well, makes it a kind of sad, somber ending. Yeah. But Especially then, like looking over at the kid and stuff. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It made yeah, it, it made it sad for me. Yeah, it, it is. Mm. He's worried that he's not going to be able to change. Mm. But in the 59 version, I got the sense that you can even if you can't change, you're just you're a human. You're a fucking floating, sometimes disgusting weed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and there's there's often things that are wrong with you, but everybody's kind of in it together. So even in in both versions, there's a positivity there. Mm. And I think I think I'm becoming with, with most of the Ozu films, all of the Ozu films. There's there's you can <laughs> slice life into all these different chunks of mm. sadness and joy and all this sort of thing. So um, I don't know. I I, I I guess I guess I enjoyed I enjoy films that are uh, stylistically compositionally sound mm. and so excuse <coughs> me when I saw the 59 version and there's so much more going on in my opinion there's so much more going on in the shots oh visually it's in yeah it's, it's heads just, and shoulders above the 34 I was just way more engaged and there's yeah. that certainly like being in the centre stage when you're having these POV shots in conversations and you're there the tatami shots become so much more immersive when they're added together with the POV shots. Yeah. And so, you, and so I, I think what I'm saying is that the 59 version is way more dynamic, not necessarily because it's color. And no, no, no. It's not a sound film. No, no. That like, it, it could still even be black and white. That's, that's it, like, it, it is just how he has developed as a filmmaker and applying those, those, you know, tools that he's done in his trade to remake a, a more dy- dynamic is the perfect word for it. Yeah. yeah. But they're both amazing. I, I, I think I think I enjoyed Floating Weeds fifty nine more than Tokyo Story even. Wow. I just yeah, That's, I mean wow. I've seen Tokyo Story twice now. Yeah. Um and uh I think I, maybe I feel silly saying that, but uh I, I was really enjoying everything about that was going on on the yeah, screen that, that's awesome yeah. yeah i just yeah for some reason these ones like i didn't dislike them i, I like i will admit i was kind of kind of coming hard at the 59 version just to try and spur, <laughs> spur you yeah. yeah um you shocked it, me yeah <laughs> and when i saw that ultimate shock i'm like let's see where we can go <laughs> like i didn't i did not hate the 59 version i just didn't enjoy it as much as the 34 for, for the reasons I've said but it is undeniably a better produced film mm-hmm. that were, but I just connected more with the characters and the, the overall story in the 34 version than I did in the 59 mm-hmm. um, and I would put both versions probably below even uh, below Tokyo sorry probably even below Good Morning for me okay yeah I, I still really love Good Morning so I think I'm in that it's almost like that honeymoon phase where you find a director yeah, and you start to watch their films and you know that there's a big catalogue you haven't bitten into, yeah, but it's exciting. And so every new film is kind of elevated. Yeah, he's got like 40-something films out there. Like, yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a big catalogue. Well, I'm so excited to see the others. Mm. I mean, they're probably far off down the line in terms of the podcast. But... Not too far. I think we've got late spring or early summer. Like, one of those is coming up relatively soon, I think. Like, within the next 10 to 15. So... Gonna have some more Ozu soon. Yeah. Well, I, I hear that. Uh, 
I was kind of watching YouTube videos and there's, I think, uh, is it the Royal, what's the YouTube channel that's very similar to Every Frame of Painting? The Royal... Oh, Royal Something Society thing, yeah. I know, I know the one you look mean. Up, Ro- Royal up. Ocean Film Society? Yeah. Okay, so uh, the, I was watching the Royal Ocean Film Society video on YouTube and it does a good job of explaining what's going on compositionally um, and you get to look at the shots because it's YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think it seems like he's kind of the hidden golden child of cinema certainly in Jap- Japanese cinema yeah where like, I had never fucking heard of him Ozu in, until we'd watched Good Morning um, and didn't realise the gravity of his work until I saw Tokyo Story yeah and he's kind of yeah he's hidden away somewhere he's one where cinephiles know and adore him but he's not known he's like, not well known at all like in the like a lot of people will know will at least have a passing acknowledgement of if you say uh, Akira Kurosawa or Seven Samurai or something they're like oh I've heard of that at least whereas if you're like Floating Weeds by Ozu they're like what what even Tokyo Story I, I like mm. it's just yeah for whatever reason amazing films an amazing filmmaker hasn't I guess they're they're kind of niche I suppose not really it's just a lack of exposure I think yeah. that's and but thank thank fuck for Criterion <laughs> like getting this stuff out there and like I said like cinephiles know and adore Ozu um, mm. you know rightly so so yeah it's good shit mm. well do you want to hear about a little bit of uh, trivia yeah sure there's absolutely no trivia on the 1934 version that I could track down okay <laughs> not um, surprised uh, as you'd previously mentioned, uh, Roger Ebert, who coincidentally does an audio commentary on the Criterion DVD, uh, considers this one of his top ten films of all time. Um, I watched the first four minutes of that. It happens to be on YouTube. Mm. And uh, it was amazing. The first four minutes of him just breaking down the lighthouse shots. Yeah. And then going through the first sequence of people that you, you really won't see after the... They're just talking about this traveling group and then it returns to the lighthouse shot. And just in those four minutes, Ebert is just kind of picking apart the film just so superbly. I need to check this out. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, I have the shot count for the 59 version. Yeah, it must be pretty high. 962 separate shots. Can we contextualize that? That, uh, that seems like a lot. That is normally about twice as much as Kurosawa would normally use around this time in his career, like in the late 50s, early 60s. Okay. So it is a lot of shots. Uh, and I think that is due, like you mentioned, the camera never moves, and it is just purely static shots moving around and having the actors move within the space. And I think because of that, he's forcing himself to kind of do more and more and more. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's it's fast cutting. Like, there's a lot of editing going on. It's very modern looking. Yeah. Um, I have one little bit of um, uh, trivial trivia, if you're interested. Always. Uh, so, um, one of the actors, uh, when he goes into the... Um, I guess it's the brothel or the place where all the working girls are and stuff when they hang in. The bar slash brothel kind of place. Um, and he introduces himself as uh, Tashiro Mifune. Oh, really? Yeah, because he's a traveling actor. They're like, oh, what's your name? He's like, Mufuni. <laughs> Tashira Mufuni. Just a nod. And uh, the, that bucktoothed lady was just like, oh, you're so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, 
but the actor who's actually playing that guy, Mitsu, um, he actually appeared and collaborated with Mifune in six different Kurosawa films. <laughs> so it's like a kind of nice little nod that he's just like, oh, I'm just going to pretend that I'm a friend of mine <laughs> in real yeah, life. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, Kurosawa has his own kind of group mm-hmm. that he likes to use. Ozu, I, I recognized a bunch of faces in this film. Yeah, and also some Kurosawa players in there as well. Okay. Like um, the woman who plays the uh, the new lover of the father is, uh, she's from Rashomon. Okay. Pretty sure she played the witch in Rashomon. Yeah. There's a lot of makeup going on. I can't, to be honest, I can't remember. Yeah. I'll take your word for it. She has striking features, I'll say. But, um, yeah. And I recognized the grandfather in Tokyo Story was in this. Uh, in the 59 version. As was the uh, the one who plays, I think, the housekeeper or something in Tokyo Story. I, it's, yeah, I'm blanking on. Yeah. Is it right that um, the son in the 34 version has a role in the 59 version? I did not know that. Okay. I think he comes back. It's not like a really substantial character. It's just kind of almost like a... <coughs> I don't know who he plays. I think it was a member of the troupe or something. That that makes sense. That's kind of nice. Little kind of bit of symmetry and growth there. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so we'll talk about the Criterion edition itself. Uh, unfortunately, this one's out of print. Oh, how are we going to listen to the Roger Ebert? I know commentary. But, so you're going to have to eBay this or track it down somehow to get the two disc DVD set. But if you do, it comes with the special features of uh, Disc One, Story of Floating Weeds, audio commentary by Japanese film historian Donald Ritchie, a new score by noted silent film composer Donald Sosin, as well as uh, new uh, and improved English subtitles. Um, Disc Two of Floating Weeds has audio commentary by film critic Roger Ebert, original theatrical trailer, and new and improved English subtitles translated by Donald Ritchie, and the usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. I'd love to listen to the commentary by A, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm tempted. I might kind of put this on my uh, search list and see if I can track it down just to essentially be able to hear that. It would yeah. be very, very cool. Yeah, like you, at least YouTube to four minutes. First four minutes is amazing. Yeah, yeah, if I can track that down without paying, like, out-of-print criterion prices for it, that would be kind of cool. I was uh, I was looking up, looking up um, variations on the first film. Apparently, uh, Alex de... Uh, Alex de... What's his name, Cole? Alex de Grossi. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a 2006 version um, of the 34 version where I think his name is Alex de Grossi was hired like to do a, a new, guitarist. Yes, no, I did read about that. The, yeah. yeah, an accompaniment, um, which is uh, I don't know. I mean, based off what I heard, off like a, I was like it's a four minute trailer Snippet, of what know. that performance was. It's loads better, in my opinion. All right. Yeah, in my again, opinion. Again, there's a lot to kind of seek out for this one, and I guess worth a look. And I think, honestly, I'd probably need to give the 59 version another shot after having, yeah, you know... So good. I didn't I didn't hate it. I just preferred the 34. It's just me. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll put that on my list to, like, kind of go back and revisit and see if it hits me in a different way. But I might have to wait a little while because we got more Kurosawa next week. Oh my goodness. Yep, we have Stray Dog. Uh, you've seen this? Oh, I've seen this. I own the Criterion DVD. I, I, I like. <laughs> okay, I've never seen it. Yeah. Of course I'm going to love it. Yeah, it's Kurosawa 49, this one's from. Okay. So, uh, it's some Mifune back in action. <laughs> yeah, I got a big smile on my face. Yep. <laughs> uh, but I guess that'll probably wrap us up for this week's episode, looking at a story of floating weeds and floating weeds, two films by Yasujiro Uzu. 
Uh, if you have any comments, queries, or just generally want to send us an email, you can do that at thecriterionquest at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at CriterionQuest. Um, otherwise, we'll be back next week with Stray Dog. For this week's episode, I'm Chris. And I'm Tom. See you next time.